Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. My name is Brooke McCallery. And my name is Ben McCallery and welcome to episode seven of our season eight. Thank you. Yeah. I I actually can't believe that it's episode seven already. Episode seven. And then, so next week is hostful. It is. Hostful with the mostful. End of season, end of year hostful rather. Yeah. Yeah. We've got a few different things planned for that one. (laughs) I promise I won't read the Hobbit poem again. (sighs) Still... One of the most talked about and favourite episodes of all time. (laughs) I'll link to it in the show notes in case you would like to torture yourself by listening to it. (laughs) But let's talk about this week's episode featuring returned guest Rebecca Sullivan. It is. Friend of the show. Friend of the show. (laughs) At this stage, everyone is a friend of the show. No, uh, it is. The third time. Third time. Yep, right, okay. Rebecca's been on. So I will link to both of her previous episodes um, in the show notes because they are cracking good listens that really are quite different to today's. Yeah. Like all three are very different. They're all very different. Um, in the first episode with her, we spoke about granny skills, which, you know, Beck is the founder of the granny skills movement. OG. Um, OG granny. Yeah. Well, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was that's not meant to be offensive at all. Uh, and then Wandu, I think, was that's right. the second episode. And this episode is... So we speak a lot about postnatal health mm-hmm. in this episode, particularly in the first half, mm-hmm. uh, because Rebecca and I have both had our own really challenging experiences with postnatal um, mental health and physical health. So she and I talk a lot about that. And I guess I just want to kind of preface at least the first half of this episode with a bit of a, I guess, a content warning. Content warning, yeah. But not because it's not worthwhile. It absolutely is. And I would encourage everyone to listen to it if that's something you think you can listen to. But we do talk, we have quite a a no-holds-barred conversation mm. about birth and, you know, yeah, physical and mental health in the postpartum period. So if you're someone who maybe is pregnant or has experienced birth trauma, then this might be an episode to listen to with a friend Mm. or you might want to do your own heart and mental health a favor and just move through the first half of the episode and then Mm -hmm. listen to the second half. Again, not because it's not worthwhile, but I know that it can be. Yeah, probably not one to listen to with the kids in the back of the car. Definitely not. There is some, it's an adult conversation and... There is some adult language. Unless you want to have a really interesting conversation with your kids. And hey, like maybe that's where you're up to. That (laughs) might be the way to do it. (laughs) But such a great conversation. And Beck and I both firmly believe a really, really important one. Mm. Um, You know, I, I think we've tried this season particularly to put me as the interviewer in positions that make me feel like out of my comfort Uncom- zone. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. On purpose, you know, mm-hmm. I think it's sort of time in this show's life to dig a little mm-hmm. deeper. And, yeah, this was just a, another example of that, I think. Yeah, I think more on that when we do record the hostful. Yes. Yeah, let's so. talk about that in more detail. But before we get into the conversation, a quick word on the audio book, that is care is now out and about and live (laughs) and you can yeah order it wherever you order audiobooks it is as far as i know only available in australia and new zealand i'm not sure if there's some like sneaky way of getting it if you're in other countries Um, but at this point head to audible or apple books those sorts of places and thank you for everyone who has already purchased it and listened to it. The feedback has been great. I haven't heard anyone complain about the rooster noises or anything in the okay. background. It's so not, okay. it's really nice to have that out. I bet. Yeah, it's been yeah. it's been a process. Two things happened, didn't they? The audiobook came out and then Destination Simple. Correct. Yeah. So that's a bit of a surprise. I don't know that I've mentioned that much, but my publisher in Australia and soon to be the UK decided to re issue. Yeah. Reprint. No, no, it's, no, so it's not, not a reprint. reprint. It's no. a new edition. It's a new edition. So there's a, It's now the second edition of destination simple. And, uh, I have rewritten the introduction. It was partly in response to the pandemic mm. because I think people's home lives and work lives will have shifted significantly 
Um, and I, I still really believe that the rituals and the rhythms in the book will help us to kind of find our new, our new normal, um, you know, in the way we structure our days. So that was the thinking behind the new edition. And as such, I've kind of updated throughout the book. And if you haven't yet got a copy of it, yeah. it is available online in bookshops, wherever you get your books, uh, Australia and New Zealand for the new edition. UK will be coming out next year. And um, elsewhere, you can still get the first edition. Little book that could. It is the little book that could. Very good. All right. Well, let's get into this conversation because it's a cracker and it's a long one. Yes, it is. (laughs) Please enjoy because I know I certainly did when when I had it. Rebecca. Hello. (laughs) How are you? (laughs) I've got my sexy, tired mum voice on for you. (laughs) I like it. I I should record all my voicemails right now. You should. There's a a certain, like, you know, rich quality to it. Absolutely. It's like, hello, you've called Rebecca. (laughs) I can't get to the phone because I'm ripping my hair out somewhere in the corner, rocking back and forth. no sleep yay Yay! we haven't spoken since you became a mum no we haven't I know that's what a ride what a ride it's been for the whole world hey yep COVID baby I know so how old's how old's your little Mally he is 18 months on Saturday wow yeah Mm -hmm. I looked at when we did our last chat which was like February 2019 or something like that and oh my goodness how the world has changed for you, my, me, everyone. Everyone. <laughs> the whole yep. world. Very rarely you get to say the whole world has changed in one, you know, one to two years. Yeah. Isn't it? You can even say a place or a country or a person, but the whole world. Yep, exactly. Yeah. It's inescapable for mm-hmm. so many reasons. Yeah. Um, how you how you doing? Like, how are you? Oh, well, today I'm very, 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 very tired. This week I'm very tired. This this past 40 years, I feel very tired. I must admit, no, I look, I have good days and bad days, like any parent, mum or dad, I think, or any human at the mm. moment, I think it's fairly safe to say. Yeah. I think there's this, um, I mean, there's an exhaustion, right, that mm-hmm. has struck everyone over the last two years. And then to add becoming a new parent into that, I can't, I actually can't, um, I can only imagine how tough it's been for mm. you. Do you mind talk like Do you mind talking about what that transition was like for you, um, either through the lens of COVID or just through the <laughs> Oh my God, we've just <laughs> yeah, we just put a little human into the world. It, it's it's a it's a weird one. I feel like I hate saying it, but I feel like I got gypped a little bit having a baby during COVID. Firstly, to go back a little bit, I was actually you know at. Yale University as a world fellow when I found out I was pregnant. So I had already been given the, the very proud title of party organizer extraordinaire because I had the apartment in which I could entertain from and, you know, plan on doing many keg stands, etc. <laughs> <laughs> you know, who doesn't want to see a 39-year-old woman do a keg stand at a, at a frat party? Like really. Basically a month into my Yale experience, which was the most, I hate saying it, cliche but the most extraordinary experience of my life and I'm sure we'll talk about that a bit later a month in um, you know I all of a sudden didn't want to drink it was someone's birthday and um, I was organizing the party at my apartment and I didn't want to drink and I was like oh shit what's going on here and one of my dear friends on the course Alex who who had become you know my let's let's arrange this party buddy I said to him oh my god I don't want to drink and then I sort of started thinking and I was like (laughs) maybe I'm pregnant and I started laughing and then I went oh shit (laughs) maybe I'm pregnant I I was like quick run to CVS and get me a pregnancy test he's like nah I'm not going he was like you know he's this beautiful Chilean man from Chile you know with his beautiful South American accent he's like nah nah and I said no you need to go and get me one and so he, he went to CVS which happened to be on the corner got me a pregnancy test I did the biz went oh my god because I'd obviously, you know, as a 40, nearly 40-year-old woman had done it before and nothing had ever happened. So yeah. when it said pregnant, I was like, oh, my God, this, oh, oh, my God. And then so I sent him back there to get another one and I said, get three, please. And um, lo and behold, all of them said pregnant and I just went, oh, shit. 
And so everyone rocks up like two hours later, later for a party at my apartment. And this was really early. Like this was, I, I it turned out I was only like four or five weeks pregnant. So at that stage, you don't want to be telling everyone, but you yep. also, everyone knew like within 30 seconds of arriving, because I didn't have a drink in my hands <laughs> upon entry and everyone figured it out. And I was like, oh, but you know, like keep it, you know, because it's early. And then the next day, um, Yale has this incredible medical school, obviously. So thankfully I was insured because that's a whole nother story of not being insured in the US. I was insured under Yale University. And so I had a blood test and yep, I was pregnant and I was like, whoa. So that threw my keg stands into array. Um, <laughs> but it also threw everything into, into array because like, it wasn't supposed to happen then. And so I ring Damien and tell Damien and he was in a bit of disbelief as well. Um, and there you go. You know, I spend the next four and a half months away. Far out. My partner being pregnant, not being able to share any of that with him. So that was pretty shit. Yeah. Start. You know, the, the thing about being pregnant when you're my age as well is you, you kind of, I've had so many friends who have experienced absolute grief and sadness when it comes to being pregnant with miscarriages and IVF and not being able to get pregnant, you know, in the first place. And I guess maybe even somewhere deep down, I'd thought that it probably wasn't maybe not going to happen to me. So I kind of, Damien and I always wanted a family, but we'd never really made it a plan. It had yep. never been the right time, but like you ask any mum, if you <laughs> try and plan these things and for it to be the right time it's never the right time and it never will be and you just got to make it work but so it was a bit of a shock um and in turn it ended up being the goodbye shag like quite literally (laughs) (laughs) the doctor was trying to work it out because I've never been really good at looking at my cycles and it was the goodbye shag so high five demo (laughs) (laughs) you're the gift you know remember me by (laughs) (laughs) so so whilst it was kind of always like this distant thing, yeah, we've got to have a family, need to have a family, want to have a family, it was never, you know, all right, I'm nearly 40, we better get our shit together sort of thing. So it was a real shock. I can't even imagine because, like, thinking about the the work that you were doing at Yale and, like, the lens through which you would have been seeing all that work, you know, thinking about envisioning a better <sighs> future and stuff, and then you're like, I'm bringing a child into this. Yeah. That I can only imagine that must have been a real head trip Absolutely. and if you ask anyone that knows me before Damien I was probably never going to have kids yeah. it was not a thing for me I didn't want to bring kids into this unstable world and here I am you know sitting in this yale bubble talking about all these amazing things I'm going to do to change the world and then going how am I going to do that with a baby mm. you know and at the exact same time Australia was burning you know dreadful fires and I was sitting there from this place of activism and change and with 16 world leaders and going you know we're going to change the world and watching my country burn started to feel this overwhelming sense of eco-anxiety that and then this overwhelming sense of shit I'm bringing a kid into this mix and then started to feel so many different emotions of how am I going to do my job how am I going to do my job how am I going to do this it was scary as all oh, yeah. and then being there not to be able to have these conversations it's all well and good to have conversations over zoom and over facetime but those are the sort of conversations you want to have with your partner face to face so anyway the, the the scary period goes by and we're having a little boy <laughs> you know I found out very early because I'm not really good with surprises ask anyone Christmas time they usually get their presents early because uh, I can't wait <laughs> and there and then I have a COVID baby effectively mm. so I felt when I say I felt gypped first my you know I get back from Yale end of December 2019 it must have been I come home I have to go one more trip to London and Germany for work and I'm must be seven months pregnant so it's sort of getting to that cutoff point where I'm not allowed to fly anymore come back that was only a week trip um, come back and then have to go to Tassie to do a class at the agrarian kitchen which is a regular occurrence for me one of my happy places my favorite place in the world I'm doing that with Mally in my belly thinking oh yeah you know amazing I'll next time I come back I'll be with Mally little did I know that that was going to be the that last class 
that was it. And Damien and I sitting in the, you know, in the Qantas lounge at, at Hobart Airport, because he came with me on that trip, at Hobart Airport to come back and everyone's talking about this COVID thing and everyone's wearing face masks, especially me, because I was like, well, I'm pregnant. I'm definitely going to wear a face mask. But still people are really laxed around me. And little did I know that was the last flight I would go on. Far out. And this is a girl who flies every few weeks for work and goes overseas a couple, you know, and this is also a bit of a quandary for me anyway because it's kind of against what I stand for flying all the time, but that's my work. And so I'm going to London two or three times a year, teach at River Cottage and all these amazing opportunities that I have. And, yeah, this is the longest I haven't been away out of South Australia since I was probably 18. And even that, I mean... It's it's taken a real toll, I think, on our identity and particularly with you, it's tied so closely to your work, which is tied so closely to your personal values, you know, and to have all of that change literally overnight and to not have any sense of, you know, what the exit plan looks like um, has really been difficult. Have you found any, any way of dealing with that uncertainty? Cause you're someone who doesn't like surprises, right? So. Yeah. Well, look, it's a, it's a real funny one because I had all these conversations when I moved, when I got back from, from the U S to meet my OB here um, in Australia, she had said to me, I just want to pre-warn you about postnatal depression because you've got an A-type personality, you know, you're the sort of person that We'll probably end up with it. Um, she was really honest. She's got got it as well. And, um, you know, people that usually the type of women that end up with it, are people that have studied or have travelled or are very um, happy with their, happy in their careers. And, yes, it's very safe to say that my entire identity has been built around my work. Mm. Absolutely, 100%. I, and that had already become a bit of a problem for me anyway because when things start to change, if your work is your identity, it's a really scary thing to start losing that. So the uncertainty of me not being able to travel, I started to lose work, like yep. boom, boom, boom. It was just like watching dominoes fall, you know, um, lost a book deal, lost the ability to go to River Cottage twice a year, lost when I go to London, I usually do three or four work things while I'm there. And I just watch these dominoes start falling and I'm going, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And then I'm thinking, well, maybe, you know, in hindsight, that was a way of keeping me at home yeah. to be a mum, to be present and be a, be a mum. But also it's given me this new opportunity of the way I see work as well because I've always been about legacy, always been about legacy, you know, what regardless of whether I had had children or not, I was always prepping all of my work for what is the next generation going to find what are we going to leave for them and so everything I did was always with this future in mind and then I just had to shift which has been really hard Mm. how I work and what what I guess my priorities are because juggling is fucking hard as every parent knows, whether you're a, a carer or a dad or a mum or anyone looking after a family. But then, you know, yeah, so I have a baby in COVID, but I got gypped because my baby shower got cancelled. And I know that's really stupid and pathetic and an awful thing to say because it sounds really crazy now when I say it. But at the time I was like, oh, and then no one could come visit in the hospital. And they're like, and- they're rites of passage. And their community, you know, and they're like a physical embodiment of the the idea of a village, right? And to not have that is oh, God, absolutely. I, I I feel for you. I totally understand that saying it takes a village now. God, I I you know, my God, it really genuinely does. But you know, the stupidest thing that I feel so guilty saying out loud, but I didn't get any flowers in hospital you know, because I wasn't allowed yep. and I didn't get the gas and I wanted the fucking gas, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't allowed gas because we all the face masks were taken up, you know, yeah. um, because they, were, they weren't allowed to do gas because of COVID, you know, like all these little tiny, teeny, they just, they mean nothing now in the grand scheme of what ended up happening, mm. which was a terrible, terribly traumatic birth. But at the time you're kind of like, oh, Oh, this is not what I imagined. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the fact that the the larger family who are, you know, my world couldn't come and visit Mally in the hospital. Yeah. Um, 
and the fact that I was well I mean I ended up being passed out for the first three days of birth which is the, the whole other story but you know all of those things that you just take for granted mm-hmm. we live in a developed country where we have if I had have had Mali in a different in a developing country I would be dead and he would be dead 100 uh, percent in fact if, if I had had him 20 years ago we'd, we'd both not be here you know all of those little things we take for granted don't take them for granted like getting flowers in hospital you know <laughs> it's stupid but it's it feels like it should be those things that happen yeah. you know and I I don't feel like I I definitely didn't have a normal no. birth anyway but I don't feel like I had that normal experience mm. and I feel a little bit chipped by yeah. it yeah I mean, and that's like that's a hard place to come from, right? Because I can hear you, you're sort of struggling with saying that it, it was difficult and you feel gypped because you're like, I mean, perspective, but also it's true. Like it's okay yeah. for you to feel like that because it's true. It sounds really selfish and sh- so shit of me to say it out loud. But at the same time, I know because I know other mums that had babies during mm-hmm. COVID, that they've this, the exact same yep. thing. And it, it's not just that, it's the fear of, having a baby during COVID it's like I am bringing you know this was right at the start of it I'm about to bring a tiny little human into a world where it's like total chaos around us no one really knows what this COVID thing is like what the freak no one knows how it's going to affect babies pregnant mums like anything I have a dear dear friend in the US who had her baby a few weeks before me a premature baby at home and she had to go home and she lost her job, so she had no health insurance. She lost her job because of COVID, had a premature baby, got COVID, partner got, the dad got COVID, they were stuck at home with a premature baby, no insurance, having to wear face masks to a newborn the entire time because they were petrified they were going to give this baby COVID. I mean, that makes me feel extremely guilty for feeling upset yeah. that I didn't get flowers or a baby shower. I just, like, my heart just thinking about feeling like I'm now being a mum and now finally feeling like a mum because I really took a long time to bond with my baby because I had such a shit fight so we had a very traumatic birth everything was very very normal and then I was in active labor for about 17 hours and then I, I had all sorts of problems with sciatica. So I had, had to have injections into my spine and all sorts of stuff, but couldn't have gas or anything. So I just was going through the motions, going through the motions and then started to push. And then I pushed for too long mm. um, and ended up having an emergency cesarean, but not just under local, it ended up being that everything had worn off so completely that I st- felt them starting to cut <laughs> and had to get put under general so Damien's with me Damien gets rushed out of the room told I'll be 15 minutes and then shit hit the fan I hemorrhaged I lost way too much blood then my uterus went mushy which basically means it falls out and it goes mushy then they knocked my bowel while I was in there the while they were in there I was effectively open for, uh, and that's just a few things that happened. The chopper was called for Mally. He needed extensive resuscitation. He didn't thankfully have to go to Adelaide in the end, but he needed extensive resuscitation. I was open for an hour and 40 something minutes. And you're only supposed to be open for 15. So I was then, well, I see photos of skin to skin. That was the one thing I was really keen on having. I was pretty open about having a plan but not having yep. a plan because I knew that shit happens that yeah, yeah shit happens and they rarely go to plan so I had skin to skin but I only see photos of that mm. so I don't remember any of it I was passed out for the next three days pretty much I don't actually remember the first four months of, of motherhood mm. because I, I was then so sick in hospital for the next two weeks I had iron transfusions blood transfusions I ended up with chronic nausea for five days then I ended up with diarrhea and then I ended up with the opposite of diarrhea and constipation. Then I got ileus from my bowel being knocked. And then my, basically my gut bacteria was wiped out of my body. And you can imagine someone who teaches fermentation is very into gut bacteria <laughs> and good gut health. They wanted to give me the horse wipe out, whatever. Mm-hmm. I can't even remember the name because I was so out of it. 
And that was the one thing I said, no, I can't. I've worked too hard for this. But anyway, long story short, I'm in hospital for two weeks, get out of hospital. And, and, and it's not just me here. Damien was sitting in that room for an hour and 45 minutes waiting for me and Mally and didn't know what was going on. You know, we've got that whole other level of trauma in our family, in our family unit that needs to be addressed. Like I can't even, he has people to talk to, but we haven't even as a family been able to have this conversation yet really. And so I get out of hospital finally, oh no, oh, to add some more shit to the fire, trying to breastfeed. Mm. And I obviously really wanted to yep. breastfeed being all about natural living. And um, I had flogged my guts out for, you know, 10 days couldn't my mental health was starting to really go down the drain and Damien and I had the conversation and we decided to bottle feed and I felt an immense amount of guilt for that now in hindsight couldn't be happier that I bottle fed my son because he's the most social little animal there is this is where all the guilt starts to kick in right I swear to god you give birth they microchip you with a guilt Uh, chip behind your ear and then it just starts and it probably never ends. It probably never will. I remember saying to someone once that I thought that parenthood was just feeling bad. (laughs) Like the first couple of years, honestly. And that's like, I mean, it's terrible to say that now and also kind of funny, but that's genuinely, I'm like, Oh, this is not what I expected. I, but I guess this is right. Like parenthood is just feeling bad. We don't talk about it enough though, do we? Because we all go on up. We all go on our little merry way business feeling guilty, immensely guilty all the fucking time and not having conversations about yeah. it. But we, so I got out of the hospital and then ended up back in the hospital two days later with Campobacter, which is effectively like poisoning. Yeah. And so my gut bacteria goes for another slide. I was in mum's house and I, she came out of the room, watched me run down the hallway shitting my pants and that's happened a few times since then. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is I have an 18-month-year-old kid and I still shit my pants taking him for a walk sometimes, <laughs> which is equal measures of funny and shame mm-hmm. at the same time. But end up back in hospital and then, my, like, my body was just broken. Like, so for four months, you know, da- luckily Damien took time off for a little while. Damien was just a, a godsend. He just took to parenthood, like, it, it, it was just so natural mm. for him. And then there's me and I start feeling guilty because I hadn't put up this Instagram photo. I mean, how ridiculous is this, right? So I start feeling guilty that I didn't put up this little photo saying how in love with this mm-hmm. little human I am, like this little stranger that's all of a sudden come into your life after 40 years of being independent. And then you've got this baby that you don't remember having, yeah. don't remember anything. And then, um, yeah, like, <sighs> just so stupid but I didn't put up this photo saying how in love with this kid I am and I felt guilty every day since because I didn't know how to love him for the first I don't know how many months I was just so I became so fixed on not being sick because I was so sick and getting better and maybe being able to breastfeed him or maybe you know, being able to hold him. I couldn't even hold him most of the time. And so then this little behaviour starts to set in with me, which I'd never experienced, and it was anxiety. And it was OCD, Mm. and it was really weird. So I started writing down, if I went to bed at this time, I would get this much sleep. And I I just became obsessed with sleep. And it's really very ironic because while I was at Yale, (laughs) the months previous I started writing a book about sleep about natural sleep because all of my Yale classmates were sort of three four hour sleepers because they were like these crazy ass world leaders you know foreign ministers and heads of National Geographic and all of these you know war correspondents all these amazing things and none of them slept and I used to get so angry at them because I was a sleeper and I was a sleeper but I'd also had insomnia when I was younger and I, I started taking these sleep classes at, at the Yale Sleep School. I became quite chummy with Dr. Krieger, who is an amazing professor of sleep, and started talking to him about how I wanted to write a book about natural sleep. And I'm still writing this book now, which is quite ironic because I don't sleep. But I feel like I'm being punished for 
lecturing everyone about how they needed more oh. sleep. <laughs> so here I am getting totally OCD about sleep and then everything's crumbling around me and everyone's starting to notice that I'm one million percent so far removed from who I am as a person. And so I was diagnosed with postnatal depression, PTSD and anxiety, mm. which showed itself as sleep anxiety. The nights went a bit like the days and nights went a bit like this. I would just get obsessed with how much when I went to bed and if I went to bed at this time and then whilst Damien was at home for the first six weeks or stuff, Damien works in Adelaide. And so when he'd go back to Adelaide during the week, I would, I had to stay at mum's, mum and dad's. Like I couldn't cope yeah. being at home by myself. And I am so lucky that I have such a close family and such amazing help. I cannot even imagine how those amazing mums and dads out there that are single mm-hmm. parents that have no one to help, like, Hats off Absolutely. to you, you are my heroes. You are my superheroes because I did it with help, you know. And so here I am, this girl who's gone through, you know, 39 years of never being anxious, never feeling scared, never feeling, you know, anything other than, oh, well, shit happens, feeling completely out of control. And so I was really anti going on medication because once again, what would anyone think? You know, yep. I'm this natural person and I can't already can't breastfeed. And then I have to go on medication. Surely I can do it with herbs. Surely I can do it with herbs. No, nope, you can't mm-hmm. do it with that. <laughs> you can't do that it with was, herbs. That was my journey as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Sorry, you can't do it with herbs, love. So I went on a very low dose of, of medication, which I'm still on. And um, slowly, you know, the worst thing that happened during that time was I would lie in bed singing the menu log ad. Did somebody say menu log? Mum, mum will laugh her head off when she listens to this because she will. they all used to, when they wanted to pay me out, sing the menu log song because it just got to a point where it was just ridiculous, like ridiculous behaviour. And then, you know, I just wanted to go back to work because that's where I felt myself. And then you've got all these, you know, parenting, you know, things to figure out. What do you want? Do you want the kid to go to daycare or do you not? Yeah. You know, Damien didn't want Mally to go to daycare and I did. And It's just like navigating all of them. And, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're someone who's engaged with life, right? So you, you're, being intentional about it, which means making decisions and having conversations. And it's Mm. hard. And when you're exhausted, like everything feels enormous. Didn't realize that sleep, how intrinsically linked sleep was to depression. Mm. Um, The less sleep you have, the more depressed you are. So, you know, I'm getting sleep on the weekends, you know, and, and, my trigger for the sleep thing very sadly was our beautiful dog waddle who we had to have put down because she had mega anxiety mm. and we tried everything and there's this whole amount of guilt and grief there too we took her to boarding school we tried everything but she became so obsessed with Mally and so protective of him that she started attacking other dogs and she bit a friend and all of the stuff happened and and that was heartbreaking having to have her put down. But that was my trigger that stopped that started the sleeping part of the postnatal depression was she she bit one of my friends and and then I stopped sleeping that night. Mm. And that I didn't even know how subconsciously all this stuff works, you know. Going back to the idea of shame and guilt and stuff, like we kind of bury it all underneath that is like this is not what it's meant to be. This is not what it says yeah. on the brochure. Um, and I, my, my experience, my birth experience was very different to yours, but mm-hmm. the postnatal period was quite similar in mm-hmm. that it, the bonding with, especially our first baby, it just, I'm waiting for it. I'm waiting for this rush of yeah. love, this, you know, yeah. heart bursting moment that everyone talks about. It just never came, you know, it was this yep. slow, slow burn. And I look back yeah. now and I'd completely disengaged. I realized that now and was deeply anxious and depressed almost immediately but didn't know I didn't know I like no one talks about it right no one talks about the flip side so I'm like oh so this is parenting okay I guess we just you know grin and bear it um and it's not until it wasn't until I had a second baby that it was different after he was born just for the first six weeks and then you know my mental health tanked enormously but that first six weeks showed me that oh Right. Okay. Maybe something was up first time. Yeah. Yeah. 
but we don't, we just, we hold all that inside and we don't talk about it because we feel so guilty about it. Going back to this stupid Instagram thing, you know, Instagram, Facebook, whatever, like, and now, you know, I still see it all the time, you know, these perfect little photos and this perfect little put together paragraph of, of love. And I'm like, you know, and, and now like you can see from, from my photos or whatever, how, how much I love my baby. I love him. And, you know, I'll jump in front of a truck of for him. But it didn't even happen that yeah. day. And it didn't happen that week. And it didn't happen that month. And it took a really long time. Not that I didn't love him or feel like it was my baby, but it wasn't like like I feel like it was supposed yeah, to be. Exactly. You know? The stories we're told. I just want other women slash men slash anyone to not fucking feel guilty about that because it doesn't, you can't, I, I, in one way or another, you can't expect a person who has lived 40, nearly 40 years, pretty fiercely independently to all of a sudden just be thrown this little thing yep. that they have to look after yeah. <laughs> with their whole entire heart and soul and being to just go, oh, yeah. Love it first exactly. sight. Like take it like a duck to water. It just, <laughs> I, I remember sitting in the Nick unit when our daughter was born, holding her, trying to learn how to breastfeed her, which was really, 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 really difficult. And so much harder oh than they God. say it is. <laughs> really hard. Like that's a whole other podcast. Really painful. Like, <laughs> and at some point, I'm like, I think I've broken her. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I remember looking at her, holding her. And of course, of course you love, like you love them, but it wasn't ever this like massive rush, this, you know, yep. hormonal influx that people talk about. Yep. Still valid, but different. And I looked at her and yep. I'm like, so when is this nurse going to realize that yep. I, I can't look after this person? Like, when are they <laughs> going to go? Oh no, sorry. We made a mistake. You're not ready. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to take her for the next, yeah. you know, 10, 10 or so months yeah. and you can come back collect her later exactly it's yeah. like I felt like I was handing in an assignment that I'd only half done or something <laughs> it was the strangest feeling yeah and yeah. I wasn't prepared for that I wasn't prepared for yeah. any of that Definitely. at least we can laugh about it now you know like landing on like somewhere on the other side of it is yeah. such a relief and that's as important yeah. as talking about the on like the truth of it is also talking totally. about it from the other side 100%. Thank you for being so open. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Sorry, everyone, for talking about my vagina so much, but, you know, it's an important topic and we need to talk about it a little bit more than we do. And pretty much half of us um, have one, so. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and lots of us have ill-functioning ones. Yep. I mean, it's fine to tell people that you piss your pants occasionally yep. when you laugh, you know, or you take your child for a walk and you accidentally shit your pants. I mean, you know, it, it, it happens. happens. Exactly. It's reality. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that moment my mum will laugh. I call her from the office and I'm like, Mum, can you bring me a change of clothes? I'm sitting in the office with no pants on. What's I your mum? I didn't make it. Oh. I know my poor mum. She's my saviour. But, you know, I'm sitting in the office hiding behind a bench, you know. Mally's there like laughing at me. And Mally has this thing where he, um, when I'm on the toilet, he likes to touch my really pasty white legs because yep. I think he thinks them they're hilarious, especially comparatively to his beautiful father's, you know, dark legs. He just pokes them while I'm on the toilet and like kind of laughs a bit. And so he's sitting there poking my legs and I'm like shamedly sitting in the corner and go, you know, having have, had to wipe my legs and my butt with his baby wipes, you know, <laughs> sit there waiting for a delivery of fresh clothes. I'm like, oh my God, this is like rock bottom right now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> <Absolute> rock bottom. <laughs> oh, oh, bless. Bless him for at least making me Absolutely. Laugh. And they are good at that. <laughs> They're good at making us cry, but they're good at making us laugh too. <laughs> Yeah, 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 totally, oh. totally. Let me change, let's change tact a bit mm-hmm. because there's something that you posted about on, in, speaking of Instagram, um, mm. you posted about on Instagram a little while back that I want to talk to you about because it resonated really deeply with me and it was just that you'd given up drinking alcohol since mm. Mally, well, since you became pregnant, I guess. That one particular yes. night where I was to be the hostess with the mostess. <laughs> yep, it would have been the day before that was my last drink probably. Uh, looking back, so I haven't had a drink since Biden won the election. Um, <laughs> that was the last drink I had. Shouldn't, shouldn't have that. Yeah, I was going to say that. that like the day, been. yeah, it was like a 
bottle of sparkling uh, sparkling Shiraz or something to celebrate. Yeah, I was at Yale when Trump was in. That was a very interesting, interesting, interesting. Thankfully, most of Yale is anti-Trump. Yeah. So it's <laughs> um, good place to have landed. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's been, by the time this comes out, it will be more than a year. And I was someone who really liked to drink. Like mm-hmm. anyone who you, you'd come around to my place, I'd always be the first person to offer you a glass of wine and yep. happily join yep. you. And I've found, like I had, I chose to stop drinking because I've had a whole heap of health issues the last couple of years and medication I'm on. I'm like, I'm asking too yep. much of my body as it is. Yep. And so where I've landed is I'm surprisingly enjoying it. Mm-hmm. What about you? So I have obviously not by any means saying that um, judging anyone if they drink oh, they're God. pregnant. Yeah. You know, like totally, I know that it's totally fine to have a glass of wine when you're pregnant. Like, well, I believe it is. I'm not a doctor. But for me, I just went, no, nah, I, I kept, I almost kept trying to keep drinking um like every now and then but I just didn't want to I even went off coffee and coffee is my life like most women when they're pregnant you go through things that you can eat and can't eat I actually had a a, quite a weird pregnancy and that I lost so much weight during my pregnancy I lost about seven or eight kilos and I think that was probably alcohol weight in hindsight and to put things into perspective I'm not I don't have a drinking problem I'm a social drinker Mm -hmm. so whenever the occasion would arise to have a glass of wine with a bunch of people, I would do it. Damien, I never, I've never once had a drink by myself. I'm not the sort of person that has had a shit day and I'd go home and have a drink by myself. Like I'm not that kind of drinker, but I was a very social drinker, but I am, as you probably know, all or nothing. Yeah. So if I'm going to drink, I'm going to drink probably a lot, which was very unhealthy. And and this unhealthy relationship with alcohol of drinking too much probably started in London when I lived in London for 10 years. Very big drinking culture. Yeah. They say Australia is a big drinking culture. London is the biggest drinking culture in the world. Yeah, right. You'd walk at five and you'd go straight to the pub every night, drink till it closed. And, you know, that was the way it was. And um, even though I've been back in, I've been back in Australia for, for eight years or whatever now Damien and I drink socially but we rarely would just crack a bottle of wine you know with just ourselves or anything but what I found happening the older I got the less I'd remember the next day Mm. and the less I would remember and I would wake up going oh my god what did I do like what did I say last night who did I offend you know anxiety yeah but I didn't even know any of that so until now like all hindsight stuff so I got pregnant, decided to stop drinking, had Mally, was so sick for the first four months. You know, everyone's like, let's have a glass of champagne. You're not pregnant anymore. And I'm like, mm, yeah, no, thanks. And then I obviously got diagnosed with PND and had to go on this medication and went, oh, well, the last thing I want to do is mix alcohol and medication because I don't know what this medication is going to do. And then also on top of that was, I could not bear the thought of having a hangover on top of having no sleep. And then it just got longer and longer and it got, I obviously got a little bit better and everyone would be like, oh, surely you can have a drink now. And I'd be like, I don't want one. I just, I don't actually want one. And then I just sort of made this conscious decision. I was like, I don't, I don't want my son to go, mommy, you were silly last night because that was who I was becoming with alcohol. And I just didn't want to, I'd had a few experiences where I'd been an asshole to friends and I just didn't want to be that person. Mm. And so I just was like, no, I don't drink. And this is not me going, you know, signing a contract with the world going, I'm never going to have another drink again. But at the moment I don't drink and I'm now two years without a drink and I don't miss alcohol at all that's what surprised me I don't miss it I realized that yeah. it was the ritual more than anything yeah you know but having said that do you have experiences where you feel socially awkward? oh god I yes awkward. Yeah. so it has impacted my social life massively particularly yeah. with like new people um yeah you know we moved to a new place a couple of years ago and so there's a group of women who are really lovely and they're always like come out to the pub yeah. I'm like I don't want to because I don't know how to navigate that 
social yeah. awkwardness with like a group of new people without the social lubricant of alcohol. Yeah. And that's just us as Australians, I think, you know, it's not widely accepted, you know, and there's that whole, I don't trust someone who doesn't drink, blah, blah, blah. Like yeah. that's the yeah. the language we use. So yes, it has really. Huge stigma, huge stigma. Yeah. It, it's a bit, And I feel exactly the same as you. I feel, I used to be the best person in the world for small talk, but now looking back on it, most of those networking sort of new people thing were revolved around alcohol. Yep. And you know, I don't come from a family of big drinkers at all, to be honest. But when we have a party, we have a party, mm. you know. I just feel really awkward now. And I've definitely noticed a few people drop off the radar in what I thought was a friendship group because, you know, I was always the ringleader, yep. always. Oh, come on, let's have another Same. one. But I'd also be the person who'd go, oh, you're not fun anymore because you don't drink. Yeah. And I feel like a fucking asshole for yeah. that because now I'm feeling that way. And I'm feeling a bit like socially awkward mm. now, but it's getting easier that people, you know, my, my good friends are sort of like, you know, they still try and encourage it every now and then. Cause I still, they probably still think that it's, you know, it's, it's just a little bit of a phase, but I don't think it is actually, I think that's it. I'm, I think I'm done, but you know, I'm who knows, but um, at the moment I just can't fathom the thought of having you know if I plan a menu or something I've even noticed like because obviously we do catering and stuff but if I have to try wine I still spit it out like I don't want to swallow it like it's just one of those things but Australians have got to get their shit together man we've got to stop making people feel guilty if they don't want to drink and we have to not feel like we can uh, have a conversation we can have good conversations in fact we probably have better conversations I think I have better conversations yeah, but it just, you know, I go to bed. I, I have to, for my sanity, go to bed at 8.30, 9 o'clock. Me too. <laughs> yeah, I'm like a total grandma. I'm granny skills to the max now. Um, you know, it's just um, I can't I can't do no. it and I don't want to do it. And I found all this, you know, I just lived off soda water for the last 18 months and now I've just found all these beautiful non-alcoholic drinks. And There's so many fantastic options. So many. So much fun yeah. with it all now. So um, I interviewed Clinton Schultz from Sober. Oh, so they're such legends. And he, and his whole story is around, you know, his his um, child going, oh, daddy, you were silly yep. last night, you know. Yep. It's making that choice of going, <laughs> I want to rewrite that story for my family. Yeah, totally. And, and you've got the guys um, at Etch Sparkling, you know, they – the Quinns, he he was a winemaker and he, you know, he's really open about his story, you know, having uh, um, mental health mm. issues because of drinking and he stopped and he created this beautiful brand called Etch and, and I'm finding more and more people. In fact, I'm finding that the people that don't drink is so much greater than I realised. Yeah. Like you post something like that on Instagram and it's just comment after comment. There's so many people and unexpected people as well. That, you know that are that are doing this and um I've just found this new drink called Banks Botanical and it's just freaking amazing it's um a native infused like non-alcoholic spirit yeah. um it's just the best it's so good I feel like I'm getting all of the fun that I used to love because I work in food and drink for me most of the thing with drinking for me really was about taste it was about complexity it was about sensory stuff it was about discovery and and that's what I missed the most mm. when I first stopped drinking but now like there's this whole world this playful world out there of there's this other brand called non oh yeah I don't know oh my yeah. god that caramelized pear kombu whatever it is drink is just the best so um but the the whole weight thing as well like you know how I said I lost heaps of weight when I was um pregnant I swear that was alcohol weight like but now because I'm so tired I've found that I like chocolate a lot so I've got to you know rein that in ah chocolate's <laughs> delicious yeah when you rain when you're tired you just want that that quick hit of like simple yeah, sugars of something. Mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I do find it really interesting though to look at because I was terrified to stop drinking. I was looking Mm -hmm. for an excuse, I think for years, like I toyed with the idea and I was Mm -hmm. really way too scared because I was the good time girl and you know, the loud one and the one who's going to dance and be like probably a bit of a pain in the ass. (laughs) I thought that I was, I thought I was fun. Um, Yeah. I thought I was fun. Yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) do you you find out what you did and then you're like, Oh my God, exactly. And I'd I'd wake up with that horrific um, 
alcohol yeah. anxiety kind of feeling. Yeah. And like, did I use my phone last night? And even like not kind of wiping myself out or anything, but just that it was just playing with my brain. And I started yeah. reading yeah. about the way that alcohol affects our brain chemistry. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this is not a coincidence, you know, that, yeah. that I'm feeling Perfect. like this. And let's face it, the older you get, the harder it is to recover. And I don't want to spend three days feeling like shit. I already feel like shit. <laughs> we don't want to add to it, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't need to add to that, you know, by having a hangover. And it is absolutely true. The older you get, the harder it gets to remember what you did. Um, even if you have one or two drinks, it like it gets to the point where, and it's not a blackout thing. No. It's not like I'd go to bed and pass out, but I would genuinely forget periods. Because you disengage. Like I feel like I, I used to drink, I think, to numb myself from stress. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've processed so much in the last 12 months that mm-hmm. has been shoved way, way deep down um, yeah. by, in part, drinking. So I think the fact that you can't remember stuff is also part of that. It's like, I just, I can't, I can't deal with it. I can't, yeah. you know, push it away, push it down. Yeah. Totally. And when you've always, I've always been that person that is the connector, Mm. you know, the connector of all of these groups of friends and you kind of feel this social responsibility to be the one that gets everyone drinking and together. And, you know, I was always the one that would organize everything Mm. socially. So you feel like you have this responsibility. So I think, you know, part of me has wanted to stop drinking for a really, really, really long time. And I just thankfully had a really good excuse, which was having a baby. And now I'm more confident in my decision. I can stand a bit firmer in it now because like you, it was that, oh God, you know, just avoiding going anywhere because I didn't want to have to go, no, I'm not drinking because then you get, you know, the millions of questions. But then I was that person that was doing it to other people as well. And I feel awful for that. But I think if I could go back and tell myself anything from 10 years ago, it was A, just do it. You'll feel heaps better. Yeah. (laughs) And or B, don't be that friend. Don't be that. Like yeah. someone's like, no, I'm good. Thank you. And I'm like, you yeah. sure? Are you sure? Yeah. Do you, just yeah. a little one? Come on. Yeah. I'm going to have one. Like I'm so to oh. anyone and everyone I ever did that to, yeah. I unreservedly apologize. I unreservedly apologize. And and the people that are listening to this, they will know exactly who they are because I have been that person to go that when friends have had babies, I've gone, oh, you're no fun anymore. Know. You know, and I was genuinely joking, but God, that is such an asshole thing to say. It hurts. Such a yeah. thing to say. It does because now people have said that to me and I've gone, oh. <laughs> oh. The irony is as well, like <laughs> you you like yourself more. <laughs> exactly. That's what I find really <laughs> ironic. People are like, oh, Brooke, yeah. what's wrong with Brooke? She's gone to bed at nine o'clock. I'm like, oh, no, yeah, don't yeah. mind me. I am genuinely thrilled. I am really, yeah. really happy to be right yeah, where I am. I am really, really happy to go to bed. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yep. You know, and having, having sleep anxiety, I'm really happy to go to <laughs> exactly. bed. Exactly. Thank you, Damien, for having Mally on the weekends, every weekend that you were home and then every weeknight that you were home even because when those nights happen, I just, I can sleep. It's ridiculous. Your head is so messy up there. Mm-hmm. It's. Do you have any um, tools or anything that you use with your sleep? Yeah, look, lots of different things, but I did start singing the menu log song again last night, so I'm a bit concerned. <laughs> a bit concerned. I woke you up just loop it? like yeah. yeah it just it's just like literally and that says to me that I'm like overtired yeah. so because the last Damien's gone back to school in town during the week so I had two weeks that were bad but this week in particular has been really sharp and I think it's just coupled with the fact that I've got a few mega deadlines yeah. we've got a book shoot next week for our new book and I've got a few other pieces of, of work that need to be done so I think those two things are just clashing and Mally's had a particularly bad week I think he might be teething again uh, so he's been so basically we're co-sleepers yeah. so this sleep anxiety thing is is also the fact that we are co-sleeping we've been to Torrance house we've done everything but our child sleeps in the bed with us and he wakes up between most nights on average about 10 times a night. Oh, mate. So we are just having broken, broken sleep. And that's the killer. It's the broken sleep. It is. And I would rather just have three hours in a row yep. and know that I'm having three hours in a row than waking up 10 times a night every yep. night. It's just relentless. The poor little boy, I don't know. You know, we've got to try and get him out of our bed and all of those things to come, but you just finding summoning the energy to try and go through that is also just exhausting but Damien's I hope very hope going to be working from home in the business full-time from next year that's what 
hoping. Yep. So we're getting to that point, which is great. And then we have to figure out what to do with our beautiful little child who um, likes to wake up a lot. And he doesn't even wake up for a reason. He just wakes up, cries, and then as soon as he knows we're there. Yep. And I just, like, my fear is that he's got a little bit of trauma as well, you know, or a little bit of sleep anxiety or a little bit of separation anxiety because dad's there and then dad goes and then dad's there and then dad goes. So we're hoping that we can get some normalcy. God, I never thought I'd use the word routine because I have been never had a routine in my entire life and now I have a forced routine mm. and it is so weird mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so strange and even like the borders are starting to open and you know I'm like right I could actually go to London for work or for fun because I've got some of my best friends are there and they haven't met Mally yet and I'm like oh my god the fear of taking an 18 month year old very active young boy on an airplane because his first trip was supposed to be when he was two months old we were supposed to do the Kakadu festival and that obviously started getting cancelled and cancelled and cancelled and so I thought I'd have this little travel bug in my you know in my midst by now but he hasn't been on a plane and I'm like I don't even know if I can be bear the thought of that you know so yeah I don't know we'll stay in our bubble for a bit longer yeah I mean you know? London will be there it'll it will and I think um my friends are so desperate to get out of London that I think they'll be here first and I'm more than happy to welcome anyone to our little piece of paradise little farm we have spare beds for anyone that needs it <laughs> just call out to our biggest friends that it. <laughs> anyone that wants to come and bitch about you know the lack of sleep that they have in their life come to our place you'll sleep really well <laughs> quick question actually about wandu so you guys sent you sent me a care package a few months ago thank you so oh, much for that i still welcome. use your lip balm which is amazing mm-hmm. um, thank you and ben has demanded that once the salt and pepper mix is gone like oh. buy more because <laughs> it's the best it's the best oh. I know our business partner called Siobhan, she calls it the crazy salt and pepper mix. She just like, and she sits on her Zoom because she works as well. Like we all work elsewhere as well currently, but she sits with one of our dish soaps. I've seen photos on Instagram of the dish soap next to her computer and she smells it like every, every, every few minutes. And I'm like, what have you got a dish soap next to your laptop for? And she goes, oh, that's my smell. I smell that. And then I'm revived for the afternoon. I'm like, okay, it's so funny. You know you're onto something good. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's got native lemongrass in it and it's just like nature's paracetamol. It's the best thing in the world. But, yeah, Wandu is going gangbusters at the moment. We've got so many really interesting, amazing things going on. To the point where, yeah, we, we're hoping that, um, you know, by next year we're both in the business full time yeah. and because we're doing education and books and all sorts of great things um, all around. We've, we've really changed, changed course with the business. We're still, you know, a pro, an online shop, but we're really an environmental business ultimately. Mm-hmm. You know, we're protecting and educating and, doing all of these things around our beautiful native flora and fauna and you know it's just evolved and grown into a bit of a beast but it all makes sense yeah. well there's that thread right there's a thread that winds yeah. through all of it that's totally. so cohesive and you've just got all these yeah. you know and for someone who's worked in you know local food her whole you know adult career to have that hypocritical aha moment of shit how can I consider myself a champion of local food when I've never tried anything local i.e. our native food you know it was a real moment for me it was almost like I was supposed to be here where I am now doing what I'm doing you know well, it all led you there you know to where you are yeah and if I hadn't met Damien gosh you know where would I be mm. I don't even know um it all just makes sense yeah um have you noticed an increase or a change in people in the conversation around native foods as a result of COVID? Because I feel like underlying the pandemic is this and climate, the climate crisis is this conversation around food security. Um, And tied to that is something that Damien mentioned at the event that I saw you guys at a few years ago, which was like food sovereignty as well. Um, And that's something that you both work so incredibly well across. Have you noticed that conversation change? Definitely, definitely. I mean, we the biggest project we're working on at the moment, we're working on a few, but one of them is cre- is planting a demonstration garden, a climate resilient demonstration garden at our property in the hopes that more farmers locally will start to integrate 
native um, orchards mm. and plants in, into their already existing systems. We're not telling plant farmers by any means to go and rip up their crops or their vineyards or anything. But what we know is some of these native plants can be integrated in what they already do, their nitrogen fixing, their fodder for their animals, and then we would buy the seed, yep. that's wattle seed as an example, you know, for 60 bucks a kilo or whatever. And they've got this other economic proposition, this value add proposition on their property that is creating some climate resilience because it's creating healthy soils. So we um, are trying to get some, some funding at the moment to get this demonstration garden up and running. And, you know, funnily enough, I learned this method um, when I worked in Uganda, I worked for Engineers Without Borders uh, in 2010 when I was doing my master's in climate change and my job was to set up a demonstration garden in the coffee industry to show farmers how they could get better prices. And all of those better prices, it, you know, just came back to being more sustainable yeah. and more climate resilient. So I'm sort of taking that method, that methodology and trying to put it into practice and thinking more local. I mean, I started to have to think local with my work anyway, with COVID. And I think everyone's thinking more local. Everyone's thinking more about their backyard as opposed to, you know, I, I love the say, saying, think global, act local. But I'm starting to think now that maybe a lot of us have to think local, think think local, act local, because I don't, we don't know what's going to happen. You know, this... This might be the start, you know, you look at things like the permafrost melting, how many ancient diseases are going to come? I'm not trying to be doom and gloom here. There's always, I always have a call to action with everything, but permafrost melts, ancient diseases are coming out and they are causing Indigenous groups of people to have to move inland because they're getting things, they're getting sick from things that haven't existed for, you know, thousands and thousands of years because they've been in the permafrost and that's just one tiny tiny example of something that's going on around us that is going to be big eventually and cause chaos you know COVID is just the beginning of it and we have to adapt and we're going to probably have to be thinking more local and I hate that but I also love that because it's kind of forced me to do everything that I've been saying I want to do which is be more community focused you know that so my goal is to make our community, the Clare Valley, um, climate resilient through native food and create a native food bowl. And if I can create a model that then other people, other leaders can take and make work in their community, then we're tapping into all of these things that are really important, environmental stuff, community stuff, cultural stuff. I've definitely, I don't know if it's because I'm in the industry, but the last five years, the conversation has just changed immensely like it's seems normal now for us talking about aboriginal culture and aboriginal food and you know supporting indigenous business and reconciliation you know we always considered our business to be reconciliation on a plate because we use food as our anchor but it just feels you know I guess the proof is in the pudding I'm struggling to get supply for our business which whilst on one hand makes me incredibly frustrated it also makes me really happy because it means our industry is growing um you know and our our intention was always to grow the industry not grow us but grow the industry and so supply is outweighing demand is outweighing supply you know consistently and it has been for a few years now so that's great yeah. that's great for for a very 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 hugely important part of Australia's story absolutely that's really heartening to to hear, um, yeah. you know, that that shift is something that not, because I mean, I've noticed the conversation changing, but mm. whether or not that was because I was seeking it out, I'm not sure. But you, yeah. in business, to see that, yeah. you know, in a very real sense, it is mm-hmm. shifting is really heartening. Yeah, totally. And and there are so many elements that have added to that, you know, so, so many elements, you know, the fact that we can do online courses that probably wouldn't have sold, mm. you know, COVID hadn't mm-hmm. happened would they have I don't know you know we're doing the, we send out little tasting packages and people sit around their computers and you've got 60 people at a time tasting these new ingredients and listening to Damien's story and I don't know if we would have been able to sell that two years ago yeah but we can now because people are desperate to do something exactly. that makes them feel connected and um, you know, getting a little package of things to taste in the mail. It's such a brilliant idea. I love it. And it's yeah. like connection while being, yeah. you know, physically separate. I think it's, it's like it's being pen, it's like being pen pals exactly. again, you know. It's, 
it's taking you know your example of slow to a whole new level but now we've got to start considering you know this online shopping um we've got to start thinking about the internet is a huge huge cause of um climate change because we've got all these data farms sitting you know it's actually something like don't don't quote me on this something like eight percent of our emissions are coming from the internet now right because the way we shop the way we stream everything's you know being delivered by amazon and 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 from all over the world you know we've got this amazing ability to to feel connected to the rest of the world but at the same time we've got to be real careful because online shopping and the internet is causing a lot of damage Mm. and it's something we don't talk about we talk about airplanes we talk about agriculture um you know we talk about all of these other things but no one's having a larger conversation about the internet and what it's doing yeah because i don't think i don't think anyone thinks about it to be perfectly honest we think about the goods we think about the transport routes but you know the internet it's digital right it's not like it's just a construct it's not it's a real thing you know it literally feels like a cloud but there are parts of the u.s that have these data farms that are you know you imagine a data farm it's storing all of our data um, in these hot places that are having to be cooled down and it's all fossil fuel run still you know and it is very very scary and I only learned this is something I only learned while I was at Yale as well because we had George Bush's niece came I think and she gave a talk because she's written this amazing book on fast fashion and um, you know this light bulb went off in my head when she was talking about the emissions from the internet from our online shopping and the data farms and the fact that if you're in California on the West Coast, most of the emissions that you're breathing in are actually from China because they float right. that far from these fast fashion factories that exist. You know, fashion's a whole nother conversation. We could have that opens a whole nother, mm-hmm. you know, whole nother kettle of fish um, when we think about we're doing that we're doing the right thing by dropping things off at op shops, but op shops are spending millions and millions of dollars to try and get rid of all these clothes that we're dropping because we can afford to have a new outfit every week, you know? Yep. Oh God. I, know. I feel like I sense like another episode with you. Oh, <laughs> it might be, it might be. Oh, but you know, it's um, yeah, going back to that whole, you know, bringing a, a, a baby into this uncertain world. Well, you know, if anything rubs off on Mally, I hope it's his sense of being an eco, of feeling hope mm. and feeling like he can be a change maker and that he can be a leader and that he is proud of his culture and that he's really connected to his culture. I think that that's a given. But, you know, we've got all these other things around identity. You know, Mally's pretty pasty like his mama. And it's like, you know, we've got all of these challenges ahead of us, but I hope, you know, that he just enters this world with a kind heart and and that he wants to I hope you know that he wants to be a little activist mm. like his mum and, and uh, you know if he grows up in the house that he's got currently growing up in I, I think that that's a given but I think you know, my, knowing what I know of you <laughs> yeah my fear is that he's going to be like you know someone that goes and works for a multinational and <laughs> cares nothing about nothing about the environment oh my god that's my biggest fear I don't think no, that's going to happen. I think that's, I yeah. Happen. Yeah. But, you know, I think it's every person's Of fear. course. But I think, I mean, you're you're such an intentional, big-hearted, deep-thinking, big-feeling person, you know. Um, and I'm, great, I'm grateful to you. I'm grateful for the work that you do and I'm grateful for how you showed up today. Uh, right back at you, girl. Right back at you. We've, we're both looking at each other on, on our screens at the moment, looking a bit defeated, but, um, you know, we're not. No, we'll keep we will. We will. Until the death. Sometimes you just have to rest for a minute and then you yeah. show back up. But yeah. yeah so much probably. love to you, my dear. So much love to you too, girl. Thanks for having Thanks me. Thanks for being on. And mamas, talk about your vaginas. Exa- exactly. Words yeah. to live by. <laughs> Who is that? Hi, Puck Pass.